Well, today we embark on our Advent series, Advent Conspiracy. The video you just saw gives us a summary of what the Advent Conspiracy is all about and gives a summary of what our focus will be over the next three weeks. If we're not careful, over these next three weeks, we can become so, so overwhelmed with the activities and the busyness and so caught up in the spending and shopping and so consumed by the packages arriving at our front door or the entrance of our apartment and wrapping all those presents that we get to Christmas and we wonder, what just happened? Wow, that was a blur. What was missing? And so today we begin this three-week series to take the next three weeks, this three-week period of time to, and the goal is to, to prevent the stress and the strain and, and, and the busyness and activities from overwhelming us and instead to, to, to uh, engage us with the story, to re-enter the story, the story of 2,000 years ago the life-changing, history-making, world-impacting story of Christmas. And to experience a, a, the, the heartwarming, life-changing, soul-satisfying story personally ourselves. Could that be? Would that be refreshing? Now, last year at this time, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we were shut down, and we were really prevented from uh, the a lot of the stress and the strain of the normal Christmas season, and we did, did not have as many family gatherings, not have as many parties, and not have as much hustle and bustle, and kind of we were forced to shut down, and so we're excited to be kind of back, a little bit more normal, and, and back, and yet maybe... Even now, after the last week or two, we feel pulled back in to the chaos of Christmas. And so, it's not too late. How do we, this week and over the next three weeks, get to the point where we can experience a refreshing, renewing, heartwarming, soul-satisfying Christmas? The Advent Conspiracy. The Advent Conspiracy, this movement that has been going on for 15 plus years now, is simply spend less, give more, worship fully, and love all. Simply spend less, give more, worship fully, and love all. What is uh, the conspiracy? What, what, what is a conspiracy? Uh, we live in a time when there are a lot of conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories abound. Uh, maybe you heard this past week that the Merriam-Webster Dictionary came out with their word of the year. Did you hear that? The word of the year is vaccine. If you ask me, conspiracy theory was probably a finalist for the word of the year, because those two words have become household words and uh, household names over the last uh, year or two or three. What is a conspiracy? A conspiracy is a secret plot 
to do something wrong, unlawful, or illegal. A conspiracy is a secret plot to do something wrong, unlawful, or illegal. Uh, the Advent conspiracy is kind of a plot, but it, it is, is, is not secret. It's meant to be public, and it's certainly not wrong. It's, it's not unlawful, and it's not illegal. Actually, quite the contrary. If we were to embrace the Advent conspiracy, it would be refreshing and life-giving and, and life-altering and maybe even world-impacting. What is a conspiracy theory? A conspiracy theory is defined as a belief that some covert but influential organization is responsible for a circumstance or an event. A belief that some covert but influential organization is is responsible for some circumstance or event. God's conspiracy, which actually we're going to talk about Uh, more on Christmas Eve, and I'm looking forward to that. Talk about God's conspiracy on Christmas Eve. God's conspiracy is is more than a a theory. It's it's a fact. It's a fact in human history, 2,000 years ago, the birth, the giving of his son, Jesus. And it's, it's not a secret plot. It was very public, and it became very public and continues to be very public over the last 2,000 years. Not a secret, but a public plot, and certainly not to do something wrong or unlawful, but to, to provide something good and, and, and right and loving for the world and for you and me personally. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing more about God's conspiracy on Christmas Eve at our three services. Back to the Advent conspiracy. The Advent conspiracy, the first kind of element or strategy of the Advent conspiracy is spend less. (laughs) Spend less. Now, some of you are probably saying, I'd love to talk to my husband. I'd love to talk to my wife, right? And you're probably thinking, man, I hope that he is listening today and I hope that she is listening today because they're, they're, they're the ones that need it. Are you listening, you know? And, and uh, say it again, pastor, spend less, right? Others of you might not be so much thinking, I'd love to talk to my husband or wife or kids, but others of you might be thinking, no, This is what I've longed for. This is what I I love to shop and spend. And so there might be that inherent resistance to spend less. The Advent conspiracy is not about eliminating giving gifts. The Advent conspiracy is not about uh, eliminating spending money on gifts at Christmas time this year. The Advent conspiracy is not about taking all the fun out of Christmas as, as we know it, but to help us to think about what we are doing, what we are spending, how much we are spending, and why we are spending. You see, there's um, uh, the... the, the uh, it's important for us to debunk the myth that the more we spend, the happier we will be. The more we get, the happier we will be. It's just not true. At the heart of consumerism is the idea that we can buy happiness. 
the idea that we can buy fulfillment, that we can buy a better self-esteem through what we buy, through what we spend, through what we get. At the heart of consumerism is dissatisfaction and discontent. Commercials and ads try to convince us that we need in order to be satisfied, in order to be happy, in order to be fulfilled, we need that, that uh, new uh, toy, the new tool, the new phone, the, the sweet sweater, vacation, or, or whatever it might be. We need it in order to be satisfied, in order to be filled, if we're going to be happy. You won't be happy until you get it. And so we, we buy and we spend and we grasp. But maybe continuing to feel the sentiment of the Rolling Stones song, I can't get no satisfaction. Some of you are old enough to remember that song. And the Rolling Stones, I can't get no satisfaction. That's oftentimes the case. We can't buy fulfillment. Can't buy satisfaction. Someone once asked, who's more contempt, content? The man with eight children or the man with a million dollars? The man with eight children. Because he doesn't want any more. Here's a, an Advent conspiracy quote. We are constantly searching for the one thing that will satisfy us. And yet each time we trust the promises of our possessions, more barriers are raised between our true selves and God's plain command to love him above all things. It's not that we necessarily want more, it's that we want something we can't buy. That we want something we can't buy. Not about buying, purchasing, or spending to gain fulfillment, happiness, or a joyful Christmas. What is the antidote to wanting more? What is the antidote to unchecked consumerism. The antidote is contentment. The antidote is contentment. The Apostle Paul, Pastor Paul, referenced Paul, the Apostle, from the first century in his pastoral prayer today, and the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi in Philippians 4.12, I've learned the secret of being content. Whether living in plenty or want, I've learned the secret to being content. And if you read the whole book of Philippians, you'll, you'll, you'll know that his contentment was in Christ. I've learned a secret of being content in plenty or in want. Paul writes to Timothy on another occasion. Timothy, he's, he's mentoring Timothy in the faith. Timothy is probably about 20, 25 years younger than Paul. We're not exactly sure how the age difference, but he was a young man, late teens, early 20s, and Paul, Paul is mentoring him in the faith. And he writes this letter to him, and God inspired Paul, and so the inspiration of Scripture still lives today, 2,000 years later, and so may Paul's words to Timothy inspire us today. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, 
But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Pretty practical uh, points from Paul. So let's talk a little bit about Paul's points to young Timothy and to us today. Number one, everything we have is on loan. God owns everything. Everything we have is on loan. God owns everything. We brought nothing into this world, and, and, and we will take nothing when we leave this world. We brought nothing into the world, and we will take nothing with us. You will never find a U-Haul behind a hearse. We brought nothing in. We will take nothing with us. Uh, another one of Paul's points is be thankful for the basics of life. Paul says if you have food and clothes, be content with that. Be thankful for the basics of life. Number three, kind of I'll, I'll add a little bit to this Paul's points of con, of, related to contentment uh, for us today, uh, kind of current in our, our day today, resist comparing your Christmas to someone else's Christmas. <laughs> Resist comparing your Christmas to someone else's Christmas. Comparing your presence with others. Uh, so often the source of our discontentment is we compare ourselves to others. In this world of social media, we can not only compare ourselves to our neighbors, but we can compare ourselves to hundreds of other people that we see appearing on Facebook or Twitter or social media, Instagram. We compare ourselves to others. And so much, oftentimes, our source of discontent is because of our comparing ourselves to others. Other persons, what they get for Christmas, the pile of presents under their tree versus our tree, what their Christmas looks like compared to what our Christmas will look like, and that becomes a source of discontent. And we compare ourselves because we're insecure. We compare ourselves because in our society we score by looking at our possessions. What's the score? So we look around and we compare and we see where we score. And then number four, uh, refocus on what will last. Refocus on what's going to last. First uh, Timothy 6, 10, a couple verses down from where I just read. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Paul's not saying that, that money is because we need currency. Money is not the root of all evil, but the love of money, the lust for more money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Haven't you seen that, witnessed that? Some people longing, wanting more have, have wandered from the faith and have experienced grief because of it. So, so Paul's point is re refocus on what's going to last. What, what lasts? Our relationship with Christ. So cultivate that this Christmas. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, Paul writes, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
we, we, we refocus, let's refocus today and over the next three weeks on, on the things not that are seen, but that are unseen, the, the things that are of eternal value. Give your heart, soul, mind, and, and time to eternal values. What are those things that are eternal? What are those eternal values? Our relationships. Our relationship with God and our relationship with others. What we do for God and what we do for others are those matters of eternal nature. So we refocus on what's eternal, which, which really leads us to the, to the second part of the strategy of, of Advent conspiracy, and that's give more. Spend less, give more. At Christmas, we remember what God gave to us. God gave to us not more toys or trinkets or stuff, but he gave himself. He gave himself. He he gave his only son. That's called the incarnation. God was incarnated in the person of his son, Jesus. God gave incarnationally. God gave relationally. And so how how are we called to give? We are called to give to reflect the giver that God is. We are called to be like him, and we can be like him in how we give to others. Let's give to others incarnationally. Uh, relationally, uh, you know, with more or less presence and more presence. Did, are you following? More, less presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, and more presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. Less stuff and more of ourselves. I read a story about a young man in his 20s who gave his dad a pound of coffee beans for Christmas with one stipulation, that the dad could only enjoy the gift of his pound of coffee beans with his son. And and so uh, in in, in the time, in the the hours, and the days it took to make and brew the coffee, the son spent that time listening to his dad tell stories and reflect on life. And those hours became the most precious gift to his father that his father ever had, and it became a great blessing to his son. Uh, there was another uh, young man who gave uh, and gift-wrapped a baseball glove for his son for Christmas, put it under the tree. And in the baseball glove, he stuck 10 coupons and on each coupon was handwritten, good for 20 minutes of catch with dad. 10 coupons, 20 minutes per coupon, that's 200 minutes over three hours of catch with dad in the spring. Presence, less presence, giving relationally, incarnationally uh, to those around us. We're talking about giving more. Incarnationally, relationally, giving of ourselves. In what ways can we give of ourselves? We could, it's coming, you know. We could shovel our neighbor's driveway or sidewalk, surprise him or her. The snow's coming. 
<laughs> Sorry to break it to you, but it's coming at some point, right? <laughs> uh, you could shovel. You could uh, bake an extra dozen of Christmas cookies and give to a neighbor uh, or a friend. You could uh, buy a cup of coffee for somebody you don't even know at Quick Trip. If they're, they're walking to the line with a cup of coffee, you could, you could buy that cup of coffee for them or buy the cup of coffee be, for the person behind you in the line for your favorite coffee store, the drive-thru. You could buy that cup of coffee, put another $5 down or whatever it might be for the person behind you. You could, you could buy that. We're talking about giving more of ourselves. You can think of other ways, creative ways. The Advent conspiracy is simple, but Radical. Spend less, give more. Here's some more practical. I, I, I hope you'll grab on one practical application from today, at least one. Here, here's some other practical application. One less gift. One less gift for yourself, one less gift for your family, and then take that one less gift and give it to someone in need. Or 10 or 20% less. Do you know how much you spend for Christmas? I don't know what you spend for Christmas, but figure it out, ballpark, figure it out, and then spend this Christmas 10 or 20% less, and then take that 10 or 20% less that you'd spend on those around you and your family and circle of friends, that 10 or 20% less, and give to a cause, a mission, or a project for someone else. That's giving more. Or another idea is matching gifts. If you spend 200 or 400 or $600, uh, uh, whatever you spend, match it and give that two or four or $600, to a mission, a cause, a project to make a difference in the world. Uh, whose birthday is it anyway? Christmas is not your birthday. <laughs> give, give, what would Jesus want for Christmas? Well, he actually, he told us. He told us. He told us this when he was on, on, lived on the earth. He told it to us through a parable. Matthew 25, verse 35, he said, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, My brothers and sisters, you did for me. What what would Jesus want for Christmas? Give a gift to a child or family in need through their Crestwood Elementary School partnership. Sign up for that. Uh, Give a, a family in Orange Walk, Belize, Food for Christmas. One of our partner churches, El Buen Pastor in Orange Walk, Belize, had started a food pantry during the COVID because of the desperate need of people. And and our goal is to give 25 families food for Christmas. That food pantry in El Buen Pastor is is almost always empty. And so we've said we'll, we'll give 25 families food for at least a week or 10 days 
and that only costs 20 bucks. And so our goal is to have 20, feed 25 families. So you could, you could do that. You could go online under our Belize tab uh, in our giving page, or you could put it on your connection card that you're willing to give $20 to feed a family in Belize. What would Jesus want for Christmas? You could give through the Extended Hand Food Pantry. Uh, you, could, you could go the extra mile financial gift to Asbury and to our ministry to honor God and to, and to bless our community. You could, you could figure out a cause that's close to your heart, a mission or a project that's close to your heart that you would do a matching gift or a 10 or 20% gift or, or just you know, taking one less gift and give that, right? And you could do that as a family. If you're a family of one or two or three or four, you could perhaps even have every, every member of your family pick a mission or a cause or a project. And then what would be cool around the Christmas tree to share why you picked that project either as a family, one project, or as each individual. can be $10, $5, $100, and share why you picked that project, that cause, why that's close to your heart. Join the Advent Conspiracy. Turn your Christmas upside down. Resist the temptation to become so overwhelmed and exhausted and consumed with activities and busyness and spending of the season that you miss the joy and the peace and the blessing of the season. Spend less, give more, incarnationally, relationally, financially, less presence, more presence, and Ask, what would Jesus want for Christmas? Let's pray. Lord God, help us to be your ambassadors, to join you in, in the conspiracy of love in the world. I pray that you'd help me and my family and each of us individually and as families uh, lean in to the conspiracy. Lean in to where you're asking us to spend less, where you're asking us to give more, that we might be a blessing of light and love to our world in very practical and tangible ways. In Jesus' name, amen.